G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Our opportunity to talk through some issues to do with family law and a focus today on relocation of children, whether it's interstate or overseas. It's becoming an area of significant disputes between parents. So we're talking parental issues today, legal issues when it comes to marriage and family and your opportunity to be a part of our conversation. You might have a question about family law today. We'll open our talkback line on 1-800-316-316. So when it comes to issues like child custody or care arrangements, the idea of child support or child protection, relocations, abductions even, uh, overseas travel, changes of name, alternative care arrangements, you can be part of our conversation today, opening our talkback line for your questions and our special guest taking those questions and always with amazing insights into uh, the way family law works is family lawyer Stephen Potts. Stephen's the Managing Director of Newman and Turner Lawyers in Brisbane, uh, specialises in family law disputes and resolutions and he's back with us today. Hello Stephen, welcome back to 2020. Hi Neil, good to be back. Well, Stephen, as we usually start our conversation, uh, I always like to draw attention to the fact that as a Christian radio network, we're always interested in building families, nurturing marriages, encouraging and building up, not pulling down. The idea is that uh, we want to preserve marriages and grow strong marriages, therefore strong families. Mm. But we realize that from time to time, things can go wrong, things can go pear-shaped, and that's when you might need a family lawyer. And uh, so, uh, so for those who were sometimes uh, perhaps uh, concerned that, oh, we've got a family lawyer on the radio and talking about things like divorce and custody and all of the messy stuff, uh, it really is an essential part of life. And uh, it's a very compassionate thing to actually give good advice when it comes to these issues. That's right. And I think it's also part of maintaining families because when, when relationships break down, there's the potential for all of the relationships within a family to break down when it's really only been often mum and dad. So the role of the family law in some senses helps to maintain those relationships between the wider family group or children and their parents so that not the entire family has been broken down by the falling out between these two parents. And Steve, from time to time, someone will say to me, you know, how do I find a Christian family lawyer? And I usually give your name. Uh, in fact, we had someone uh, live on uh, on a talkback program recently, and they were saying, how do I get a hold of Christian lawyers? Mm. And there are Christian lawyers all around the country. That's right. It's, yeah. a, matter of, uh, it's a matter of, I guess, uh, uh, scouting them out. Not all law firms have we're Christian lawyers on them. That's uh, correct. Yeah. Newman and Turner, you guys have had a fabulous Christian culture mm. uh, through uh, the career that you've had and uh, and those who've preceded you. Uh, so when people are looking for a, a Christian lawyer, how's the easiest way to actually find one? Surprisingly, probably the easiest way is just to Google Christian Law Society and then the state that you live in, and that would usually bring up. So, for example, uh, I'm from Queensland. There's a Christian Law Society here in Queensland, and, and if you were to contact that organisation, they'd be able to give you a list of uh, Christian lawyers who practice in various areas. So I, I personally practice in 
in uh, family law, but my firm practices in a range of areas, and there's a number of other Christian firms um, based in in Queensland and and uh, particularly in Brisbane who are all members of that organisation. So that's one way of doing it. Okay. Well, let's get into our topic today. It is a, uh, a, a hot topic when it comes to people who've gone through some level of uh, marriage breakdown and uh, they're finding their way when it comes to uh, getting things sorted out with children in their custody. We're talking today about uh, relocations of children. This is one of those areas that uh, is inevitable. Uh, the questions will be asked if people have gone through a marriage breakdown. That's right. It's very common for people to find that they can't, they either can't live in the place that they used to live or for whatever reason they need to move and then can have an impact on the amount of time children spend with their parents. Um, sadly, some people just unilaterally get up and move and take their children and separate them from the other parents, so there's challenges that come with that. But it's also just the challenges of the nature of work and people's work commitments that can take them uh, interstate or maybe not interstate, but far enough away that it makes it a bit awkward to implement an arrangement that they might have already had in place for some time. So um, it's it's a situation which is becoming more common as people are able to move easier, as people's jobs and their lives enable them to move more easily, um, these kinds of disputes happen. I think it's interesting, The in the last, uh, probably the last five years or so, two of the main cases, family law cases, to end up all the way to the High Court have both involved uh, relocation, one in relation to a mum and dad who were leave, uh, living in Mount Isa and wanted to live, mum wanted to live in Sydney. And the uh, other one that got a lot of media coverage a couple of years ago was the mother who took the children from Italy and came to Australia. So those are typical of the kinds of situations that family lawyers and the courts have to face when, when people separate and want to move with their children. Now, what rings the alarm bells? Is it the holiday uh, or is it the permanent relocation? Usually it's the permanent relocation that causes the biggest difficulty. I, I regularly have... Um, parents who come to see me and say, look, I'd like to take my children on a holiday to, say, New Zealand. I want to go skiing in New Zealand or I want to go take the children over to Fiji and the other parent doesn't want to agree. And so that that can usually be sorted out without an application to the court. Maybe once or twice a year you have to go all the way down and have that argument, but most of the time it can be agreed. The biggest challenge, though, comes with people who want to relocate either interstate or overseas where it's going to make it significantly more difficult for the the remaining parent to spend time or to communicate with their children. Is there a difference when you talk interstate or within a state? I mean, some of our states around the nation, they're big states. Yeah. Uh, say you're talking about uh, WA and uh, you had one parent who was moving to Broome and another one in Perth. Uh, or if you're in Queensland, uh, some one, one parent living in Cairns, another one living in Brisbane, uh, that's further away than if you're just talking just across the border. It, does, it, does, it, does the state boundary make a big difference? No, it doesn't because for a couple of reasons. The first thing is that the, the legislation, Family Law Act, is a uniform piece of legislation. It applies to all Australian states and territories. So the law is not different from state to state. And the law doesn't distinguish between someone living in, say, New South Wales and someone living in South Australia. The, um, the, the court's got to weigh the same factors. But the, the practical reality is that someone who lives say, in Cloncurry in West central western Queensland, who, um, who, or who moves to Cloncurry from Brisbane, say, finds it much more difficult to travel backwards and forwards to Cloncurry than it might be to Sydney. Sydney's an hour on the plane. There's regular plane flights. In fact, most afternoons uh, there's a flight that leaves every half an hour. So it's very easy to move backwards and forwards between major centres, but 
more rural or regional areas that have less transport options, it becomes a lot more problematic to go somewhere, even though that might still be within Queensland, for example. Okay, so you've got parents who are divorced. Uh, Children are then in the middle of uh, what's happening uh, so far as these arrangements go. Uh, Children who are drawn with one parent or the other. Uh, Is there a way that you can actually come to arrangements and these things can happen without the involvement of lawyers and courts? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's two main ways that people resolve parenting issues with a level of formality rather than just something ad hoc between them. Lots of parents come up with something ad hoc between them and that works well, but sometimes it's also quite helpful to have a written agreement in place that they can refer back to and say, no, this is this is the deal that we struck. So the two main ways of doing that are through parenting plans or a parenting order. So it's an order of the court, but it's been made by consent. So neither party has to go to court and give evidence, sit up in a witness box. It's all done by reaching an agreement and lodging the paperwork with the court. And that, that court order, that parenting order, then regulates the amount of time that children spend with each parent. And it can also cover all of the mechanics, like how long it might uh, parents might have it during school holidays, how you actually facilitate those changeovers, what happens if someone wants to take the kids to Fiji for that one of those spent You can see the flight specials on TV and think, well, gee, a week in Fiji at the beach would be nice during the school holidays. That You can have an order that encapsulates how to make sure that the other parent is aware of those arrangements and has permission. Because if you have an order and you take a child uh, overseas without the other parent's um, uh, agreement, you've committed an offence. Mm. I was going to ask you, because you use the illustration, that you see the flight specials on TV, is it the case that a lot of parents will book the flights because there's a special on? Uh, the kids are, uh, they've got their own ticket, they're going to be sitting beside them on the plane, and then uh, the other parent gets wind of the fact that there's going to be an overseas expedition. And, yeah. uh, and so the, the tickets are already purchased. And it's disastrous. Yes. it's disastrous. It's because, disastrous <laughs> because often people have already spent the money, they've bought the tickets, and unless they've also taken out some form of travel insurance which would cover them for the refund of those tickets, they've, they've kind of done their money. So they then need to perhaps backfill and try and get some kind of an agreement in place so that the children aren't stopped at the airport when they try and board the plane. So it might be helpful if I if I break down a couple of the mechanisms through which the court kind of deals with these issues because it kind of provides a bit of an illustration. Um, there's a two-stage process, obviously, when anyone wants to go overseas. First thing, you need is a passport. And the second thing uh, you need is, is to be booked and have free travel to go overseas. So when it comes to arranging a passport, anyone, anyone who's filled in a a passport application for a child will know that uh, you've both got both parents have got to sign that application and, and certify yet yeah, this is my child and and I'm aware that this passport will enable them to travel overseas. So typically, where um, the first point of contact with me is a, a parent who says, "Well, I want to take the children on a holiday, but the other parent's not signing the passport application." So there's some mechanisms by which you can write to the passports office and ask them to issue a passport. The minister can, under the legislation, the minister can technically exercise a discretion and make a passport. I've never seen it happen. They, the passports office always write back and say, no, you'll need to go to court for that. There's a process. There's a process. So, And then you make the application to the court and uh, if necessary, if it's still necessary because people, people can't agree, the court will often um, make an order for a passport to issue or a passport to be renewed. Perhaps the passport's lapsed. You know, It's been sitting in, in the cupboard or in the filing cabinet and you think, oh, yeah, we're fine. And then you pull it out and you think, oh, goodness, it lapsed you know, eight, eight months ago particularly with children because their passports uh, usually only last for five years. So uh, that's the first step. The second step then is the actual travel arrangements. And I mentioned before that it's an offence to take children out of the country without the other parent's consent. Um, 
that can obviously be enforced by the Australian Federal Police. And there is a mechanism by which a parent who is concerned that their former spouse or partner is taking their children overseas can apply to the court for an order to stop the, the parent travelling. But even before the court hears that application, they can give a copy of the application to the Australian Federal Police. And the Australian Federal Police place the child's name on the um, what's called the Family Law Watch List. And that's a, a particular list that's maintained at every point of departure from Australia. So that would include international airports, but it would also include um, ports. So if someone wanted to uh, abscond to, to Fiji by ship, by, on, a, on a P&O cruiser or something like that, um, when the child's passport is scanned, if that child's name is on the watch list, then officers from the AFP will come running and, and pull the child off the plane or pull the child off the uh, boat. Or It's very traumatic, which is why you try very hard to make sure that situation never arises. Because it's very intimidating for young children to be hyped up, yes, we're going on this exciting holiday, and then all of a sudden AFP officers come down and, and grab the child. Now, I guess the question a lot of people might be asking is how often does this happen? Uh, the idea of, you know, there's some sort of sinister motive or, uh, you know, the child's going to be taken overseas and it's going to be a permanent arrangement. It's mm. going to sneaking the child out of the country, which is, I guess comes under that uh, terminology in abduction. That's right. Yeah. Uh, because you might think you're just uh, sneaking off for a holiday, but the the court's might view that differently and they might see it as an abduction. That's right, they may do. And what the court's got to look at is a range of factors like uh, what a person's connection to Australia might be. For example, do they own property here? Do they have a job here? Do they have other family here? What ties do they have to keep them here in Australia? Um, And if someone has come originally from overseas, then obviously a lot of their ties may still be overseas. They might have family overseas or they might still own property overseas. So all of those factors have, have got to be weighed. And any judge who uh, is dealing with one of these applications, particularly the very first time it comes to court, when they don't have all of the background information, they've just got that very first affidavit, is going to say, well, hang on a minute, what's going on here? What protective measures might I need to put in place while we're looking for some more information? Well, you can be a part of our conversation today. <coughs> our talk back line open on 1-800-316-316. So 1-800-316-316. You might have a question, and it could be on any issue to do with family law today, whether that's child custody or care arrangements, child support, child protection. Uh, we've been talking about relocations, and we'll talk some more about that because it's one of those areas that will affect uh, a lot of families who go through a marriage breakdown and then there are custody issues. 1-800-316-316 is our number if you'd like to be part of our talkback conversation. Our special guest is Stephen Potts, family lawyer. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. 2020, Stephen Potts, our guest, family lawyer, and your opportunity if you have a question about family law, 1-800-316-316 to be part of our conversation today. Let's take a call from Hazel in Manning in WA. Hello, Hazel. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Hi, Hazel. What's your question or what are your thoughts on our topic today? Well, I have a question. Um. There's a, part, uh, a man and a woman who are partners in the north of Australia, and they had two children. So the guy decided he wanted to go to Melbourne, so she said, oh, yes, that's all right, I'll come too. I went over there, and then he dumped her and went with his girlfriend, which she didn't know about. Now he says that she can't leave the state because of the children, you know, he can't, she can't take 
the children back home because uh, of the law. Is that correct? Well, Hazel, what you've just raised there is is very typical of the questions that family lawyers get. And it's actually exactly what happened, um, or very similar to what happened in uh, one of the cases that Neil and I were talking about before that ended up in the, the High Court. So um, do you know roughly how long ago the parties moved from the north of Australia to Melbourne? I think about eight months. Okay, all right. That's, that's relevant in the sense that it gives a bit of an indication of how long the people have been living in Melbourne. There's no actual set piece of legislation in the Family Law Act. There's no section or division that actually talks about how to deal with a relocation case. They're dealt with as part of the broader question of what's in a child's best interests. And when the court's got away, what's in a child's best interests and what arrangements uh, need to be made. It starts first with a, a presumption of what we call equal shared parental responsibility. And what that means is that both parents have an equal say in arrangements about children's long-term care. And obviously where children live is a long-term question. Okay, And then once the court is satisfied that it's in a child, uh, sorry, that, it's, uh, that there is equal shared parental responsibility, it then turns its mind to the question of, of time. How much time should a child spend with each parent? And as a part of that, there's two main things the court's got to consider. One, what's in the child's best interest? But two, what's reasonably practicable? And that's where these relocation cases tend to get stuck is, well, what's reasonably practicable? If if mum, for example, has given up work or given up support from family and moved from northern Australia down to Melbourne, and then dad withdraws uh, financial support from the family or um, forms a new relationship or mum doesn't have the support of somebody else, then that makes it much more difficult for her to remain in Melbourne. And in those circumstances, uh, she would need to put evidence to the court to show why, but um, the courts have to weigh the practical realities of this situation. Can mum, for example, afford to support herself living in Melbourne, particularly if she doesn't have work because she might have given it up to move or um, there might not be work available in the in the industry or the area that she's skilled in, or she might not have worked because she's been out of the workforce looking after the kids? All of those factors have got to be weighed by the court but to say that she would be required, there's nothing in the Family Law Act to say that she would be required to remain living in Melbourne. Hazel, does that answer your question? Yes. If she consulted a lawyer, there's a chance that she may not have to. I mean, it is an absolute law, is it? Well, what's likely to happen if, for example, she just picked up the children and returned to North Australia... What might happen is that the father might make an application to the court for orders that compel her to come back to Melbourne, and at least until such time as the court has an opportunity to to hear the evidence and investigate the evidence and make a proper consideration. What often happens, um, and it causes a lot of a lot of uh, extra hassle for people, is someone just picks up the children and then moves back, and then the court's left in a situation where it says, "Well, I don't know whether that was in the best interest of the children or not. I might need to bring them back." to Melbourne or back to the place in which the, the parents were most recently living uh, to, to be able to make a decision. So my recommendation is always to try and seek an order from the court to permit you to go back because the last thing you want to do is move, uproot the children, place them in a new school, for example, and then find that all of that gets undone because they've got to come back to the town in which you were living or the city in which you were living and then um, go through that court process and, and do that whole move a second time. 
Hazel from Manning in WA, thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Let's take a call from Susan in Henty in New South Wales. Hello, Susan. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. How are you? Good, Susan. What are your thoughts? Do you have a question for our family lawyer, Steve Potts? Yes, I do have a question. Um, My daughter has been separated for a couple of years now from my husband. They haven't gone through a divorce as such as yet, but her 16-year-old son needs a licence, his birth certificate signed, and father hasn't been in communication with the children for some time. Um, So what is... Is there a way around that for him to be able to get his licence, um, like his learner's permit? Do you, do, you, do you know where the father is living? Yes, so, and he's been sent the information, but the child is still waiting on that. Okay. Um, for him to sign that. All right. And is there any... There's no dispute that... Um, is the reason that he's not prepared to sign the... He's not on the birth certificate? Is that the situation? Or yes, he is. He is on the birth certificate. But your yes. but your grandson doesn't have a copy of the birth certificate. Is that no? We need to get the birth certificate, and we need his signature to do that. But he's not. Um, yeah. Okay, because ordinarily in that manner. Or, so, ordinarily, you can obtain a birth certificate from your the state based registry of births, deaths, and marriages. I know in yes. Queensland, for example, it doesn't require both parents' signatures to obtain a copy of that birth certificate. Um, so that would be the first the first suggestion I would say. The second thing is that if if the registry of births, deaths, and marriages does require uh, both parties' signature, I'd have a look at whether or not you could ask for a lawyer to ask for a copy of that birth certificate because okay. sometimes there are exemptions um, if a lawyer is asking for it. Ultimately, if if he's not prepared to sign documents, then an application might be required to the court. But I would think that yeah. if you try those two steps first, you're more likely to get the birth certificate, and then you can apply for the. Uh, uh, he okay. can apply for his his learners or his his driver's license. Okay. D- d- are there any orders in place at all? You said you you said your daughter and her husband weren't divorced; divorced they're just yeah. separated. But uh, were uh, there any orders in place in relation to the care arrangements for their children? No, no okay. they're with their mother. Um, yeah. All right. Well, in the absence in the absence of an order, both parents have parental responsibility. So there's um, there's nothing to stop your daughter exercising that parental responsibility and asking for that uh, that birth certificate. Okay. Thank you. All right. Good luck with it, Susan. Susan. Thank you so much for being part of 2020. You might have a question for family lawyer Stephen Potts today. Our talkback line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Michael in Quinana in WA. Hello, Michael. Welcome along to 2020. Well, thank you. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah, I just got a question. Um, just wondering what the likely uh, the the likely outcome would be. Um, for a woman responsible for four children who have been who has been in an abusive relationship for a long period of time, and is seeking an intervention order, well, has got an intervention order after a triple zero call to police, mm-hmm. and there's basically a pile of evidence, recordings, and emails, and texts, and whatnot, and. Um, just wondering what the likely outcome, likely outcome would be. Like, she's got four children and uh, one's disabled, and um, the children don't want their father, and the and the and the, the mother of the children doesn't want the father. 
How how old are the children, Michael? From twelve to twenty-three. Okay. Well, any child over uh, eighteen is not a child in inverted commas under the Family Law Act. So there's nothing that can be done um, in relation. Two under eighteen. So there's two under eighteen. The youngest one's twelve. Yeah. Okay. So quick crash course in in what the court has to consider when it's looking at children's issues. The first is that um, the first thing to say is that when a court's asked to make an order, it has to consider the children's best interests as the paramount consideration. That's the lens, if you like, that it looks through whenever, whenever it makes a decision. And as yep. part of doing that, um, it tries to ensure that children have a meaningful relationship with both their parents, but also the need to protect children from abuse, harm, um, family violence, neglect, things like that. And where there's a bit of a, a conflict between the maintaining a relationship and protecting them from harm, the court puts greater weight on the need to protect them from harm. Yep. So as part of that, if there's been an intervention order, a domestic violence order, a protection order, those kinds of things, and the evidence shows that the children either have been um, victims of victims of harm or have been exposed to it, so have seen it happen to their mum, that's a very significant factor that the court's got to weigh. Okay, And certainly if, if the court is satisfied that those things have happened, the court might say, well, this is not an appropriate case for there to be equal shared parental responsibility. It might be the case that mum then receives uh, an order for sole parental responsibility. And then the court has to consider, well, if mum's got sole parental responsibility, what amount of time is going to be in these children's... It Will it be in the best interest of these children for them to spend with their father? And that might require um, some independent evidence from someone like a social worker or a psychologist who prepares a report for the court to be able to demonstrate what nature of uh, attachment the children have to, to their dad, things like that. If the children children's wishes in and of themselves, you said that some kids don't want to spend any time with dad, children's wishes aren't the be-all and end-all, but as kids get older, more weight gets attached to their views. Obviously, very young children are easily swayed or they, they don't have a particularly clear grasp of what it means to be living with one parent or another. But as kids get older, particularly as they move into their teenage years, their views become more independent um, and the court therefore starts to put a bit more weight on them. So um, the fact that the children don't want to spend time with him wouldn't um, be the solution. Whatever the kids come up with wouldn't be the solution. But the court would give it some very significant weight. So if there's a history of of domestic violence uh, and you've got children who have been exposed to that and traumatised by it and don't want to spend time with their father, certainly, yeah, certainly at a at an interim stage, the court would be very um, would would exercise its discretion very carefully to make sure that uh, they didn't do anything significant. You'd probably find there'd be very limited time, perhaps only at a contact centre or something like that, until the court had a bit more information. And it wouldn't be surprising that if it went all the way through to a trial, that the children might only spend very limited time with him. Hmm. Michael, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's been helpful. Michael, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. At 1-800-316-316, if you have a question about family law today, Stephen Potts, our guest, family lawyer, managing director of Newman and Turner Lawyers in Brisbane, uh, specialises in family law disputes and resolution. Our talkback line open. And uh, as we've said in previous times, Stephen, uh, when we talk about family law issues, uh, these things are much the same from state to state right around Australia. Mm. That's right. It's Neil with you and 2020. Our special guest this hour is Stephen Potts, family lawyer. 
He specialises in family law disputes and resolution. We've been focusing today on issues to do with relocations. But if you do have a question about any section of family law, you're welcome to be part of our conversation. And just before we take the next caller, uh, a special thank you to you, Stephen Potts, uh, for your regular contributions when it comes to these issues of family law. So important for people who've gone through marriage breakdown, divorce, and then juggling all of the issues to do with family. And uh, certainly from the bottom of my heart, and uh, let me reflect uh, from everyone here at Vision Radio, the appreciation that we have for your contribution uh, for listeners right around Australia when it comes to these important issues. Oh, you're very welcome, Neil. It's, it's always good to be able to share with people um, ways in which you can resolve these issues without ending up in court. Most people can, so this is just another avenue with where we can kind of get the message out as to these are some other options that are available to you rather than ending up in a courtroom. Well, we are taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Alastair on the Gold Coast. Hello, Alastair. Welcome along to 2020. Yeah, thanks. Hey, Alistair, well. good. What's your question for Stephen? Um, mine involves with child support. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two kids are 16 and 14. Um, I got a letter off child support saying the level of care has changed, but um, the court orders haven't. Okay. Um, I've just got the standard two weeks, every second weekend and half holidays and that, court Mm -hmm. orders. Um, I'm just wondering how I stand with that because they're saying now that they're not coming or they don't want to come, but um, my child support goes up even though none of it's my doing. Yeah. This is a bit of a, a tricky situation, Alistair, and, and you're not the first to find yourself in it, unfortunately. This is what what happens when um, court orders might say one thing, but the actual practical reality is slightly different. So when the Child Support yeah. Agency creates um, an assessment to work out how much parents might owe one another for the care of their children, it's use, it uses a, a formula which is provided in the in the legislation which assesses things like people's income, so your income and your and your and the mother's income yep. and the amount of time that children spend with each parent and also the age of, of children because obviously as children get older, it typically gets more expensive to look after them. So the formula takes those things into account. Now, yep. lots of people who separate might not have orders in place, but they go to the child support agency and they say to the agency, well, uh, these are the, this is the amount of time that the children spend with each of us. And so on that basis, the, the child support agency comes up with an assessment, okay, and then... Yep. They might end up in court at a later stage or they might reach an agreement either by an order or parenting plan. Um, You've got an order, obviously, in place. And so you give a copy of that order to the child support agency and they say, okay, well, based on this order, we run through through the formula again and this is the outcome. When children children stop spending time um, as regularly with another parent, obviously the child support agency doesn't limit itself only to the order. It can say, well, what's been the practical reality of how much time these children are spending with the other parents? So if, the, if, you're, yep. if you're 14 and 16-year-old haven't been spending as much time with you and, and the mother can establish that that's true or that's accurate, then they will then base their new assessment on the amount of time regardless of what the court order might say. So okay. there's, there's a couple of things that you can do about that. Obviously, um, as children get older, particularly as they get to 14, 16, they don't tend to spend as much time with both parents because they're also looking to spend time with friends or maybe at 16 oh, getting, a, yeah, getting a part-time job, things like that. So that can, yep. ha- that can have an impact. Um, I would 
caution people um, before running off to court and saying, well, I want this order enforced, that the order says that the children are spend time with me every second weekend and for half the school holidays. I'd, I'd be cautious about saying to you, well, go back and do that. But there are yeah, yeah. avenues within the child support uh, regime where you can you can contact them and say, um, well, there's these other costs, for example, that I've been meeting while they're with me that aren't being taken into account. There's other ways in which you can uh, have a look at what's being actually provided by way of child support and see whether there are any changes can be made that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it just seems all about money, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I've been paying regularly in that, and all of a sudden I get hit, I want more. Yes. Um, for, for no fault of my own reason. Um, and I'm sort of at that point where it's like, well, what do I do? I mean, you want more and more, but you're working. And yeah, that's why that's why I say that there are some ways in which you can speak with the child support agency and say, well, what's being asked from me now, either I'm not able to pay that because of these various other commitments or they might not, the child support agency might not be aware of how much the other parent's earning, so it might be necessary for them to get a bit more information about that. There's multiple levels of review that can be done there. So my, my recommendation would be to investigate that and see whether there's some reviews that could be done internally, which are much much less expensive for you to do, but might provide you with a, some different outcomes or some different options as to the way you might structure your child support payments. Alistair from Queensland, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Hope you got a appropriate answer there from Stephen Potts, family lawyer. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Louise is in New South Wales. Hello, Louise. Welcome along. What are your thoughts? Yeah, hi. Um, I've just... Uh, recently separated from my husband and my kids are 14 and 16 and um, we're just trying to work out um, who gets the kids when and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, I, I, I'm I, on the pension and he's got a very good paying job and I've always been the uh, disciplinarian, I guess, in the family where he's always been the kids' best friend, and yep. so they love to do fun things with him. But when I said to him, I want to have 50 50 custody of the kids, and he just turned around and said, Well, why don't we just ask the kids? Um, at 14 and 16, I still have the right to say, No, I I can have the kids 50% of the time. Well, um, let me let me kind of step back a little bit from there even even further, Louise, because um, there's not actually a presumption that the children live with each parent on an equal basis, a 50-50 basis, but mm-hmm. um, certainly a lot of parents find that that's an effective arrangement because it means that they get to see their children regularly. Um, and 50-50 doesn't necessarily mean week about. It can be sometime during each week. It just depends what mm-hmm. works best for the children. But you're quite right that as children, because they're not over 18, you still have parental responsibility for them and can make decisions about where they live. I guess the practical challenge comes with um, the mobility that a 14 and a 16-year-old have. I mean, they can walk with their feet um, sometimes, and that can that can cause a lot of uh, stress for parents when they feel that the the children are making the decision, and that really places them right in the centre of the conflict, which is exactly what you're trying to avoid. Mm. So... There's a couple of things that um, that might be of assistance to you. Depending on where you live, there might be a family relationships centre nearby. So if you were to jump on the internet and look up familyrelationships.gov.au, they're government-funded um, mediation centres. They provide 
um, heavily subsidised mediation services to separated parents and often you can reach an agreement through that. You would typically have an intake session by yourself and then there would be an invitation extended to um, the father for him to participate and then if you could... Uh, if he if he was prepared to come along to that, then there would be a mediation facilitated by a, by a professional uh, counsellor or mediator. And mm-hmm. in certain circumstances, you can actually have what's called a child-inclusive mediation, which means that somebody independent speaks with the kids and gives you a little bit of feedback as to what they're thinking so that when you're working on an arrangement for their care, uh, you've got a little bit of information there that's provided to you independently rather than either of you having to ask the children directly, which is probably the worst thing you could do because it places them, like I said, right in the middle of the conflict. Mm. But um, there's not a presumption of, of shared care uh, mm. unless you've you've already – the way you get to a, the decision about shared care is we, we were talking, I think, with one of the callers a little earlier about equal shared parental responsibility. And, and once the mm. court's satisfied that there is equal shared parental responsibility, it then says, well – is equal time in their best interests and reasonably practicable, and mm. so that's how you get to that question of whether or not it's it's re- uh, whether it's going to be a shared care arrangement, and as part of the consideration of whether or not it's in their best interests, the court has to weigh any views of the children uh, and the weight that it thinks should be attached to those views. So does that make sense? It's a bit of a random way, way of saying um, that. Yes, you can make the decision, but your children's views would also be taken into account. And perhaps the best way of doing that is rather than ending up in court and having the court make the decision, going off to one of these mediations where you can have someone talk to the children and give some of that feedback to you. Mm. What was the first place that you suggested? So family, they're called Family Relationships Centres. So if you were to Google okay. that or just look up the, their government run, so they're www.familyrelationships.com. .gov.au, I think. I better check that with me. (laughs) Give him the details later. Louise, thank you so much for your input here today on 2020. And just a note for listeners, because sometimes you you hear something on the radio and you think, oh, I should have written that down. Uh, We'll have this conversation podcast later on this afternoon. Uh, When you go to the 2020 page at vision.org.au, you'll be able to hear a uh, a review and uh, listen to this conversation again. If there's something that you hear, you think I need to get... uh, some more details, need to hear that again, you'll be able to do that at podcast, vision.org.au. Look for the 2020 page link there when you are on the website. Uh, Our special guest is Stephen Potts, family lawyer. We'll take some more calls in just a few moments here on 2020. This is 2020 on Australia's Vision Radio Network. It's Neil with you on 2020. We're talking family law this hour. Stephen Potts, our guest, specialising in family law disputes and resolution. We have been talking about things like relocations, uh, some of those ticklish and difficult issues that parents face when they've gone through a marriage breakdown and therefore divorce and there are custody issues. Uh, you might have a question, 1-800-316-316. Uh, let's hear, Stephen, from uh, the next caller, uh, who's Cheryl from Northern WA. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Cheryl, what are your thoughts? Or do you have a question for Stephen? Um, it's not, well, not really a question. Ours is a, a good news story, but I'm wondering how... Well, tell us more, Cheryl. Tell us more. such a good news story. Um, when my son was quite young, he became a dad, and uh, his, his partner already had a child from a previous relationship. And so our son just took on that that beautiful little boy as his own. Mm -hmm. And as they got older, um, we just sort of always treated them both as our our grandsons, but 
the relationship fell apart, but Tim, our son, was able, was able to just keep contact with them and, and with both of them. And we went through years of thinking, oh, we'd love to take both the boys on an overseas holiday, but it always seemed like it would be very difficult to get a passport for the eldest child as we had no blood relation with him whatsoever. Um, then a few years ago, our son was to, be, to get married, but it was going to be overseas. And we thought, oh, that could be really difficult. Um, anyway, his mum applied for a passport for, well, for both the boys without any trouble at all. And we took them to the airport, got on a plane and went off to the other side of the world with no questions asked, uh, which was lovely and easy for us. We did have a letter from her if it was asked for when we went through immigration. Nobody asked anything. Both the boys have different surnames to us. And it was all just a little bit too easy. It was great for us, yeah. but it just concerns me that that could happen in in a situation that wasn't as safe as ours was. Sure, and and look, Cheryl, that's a fantastic story that uh, you've been able to share because it illustrates that people can reach agreements without mm. needing to go to court and and connect. Yeah, well, they ha- and they they haven't ever had a court agreement. They've just sort of worked things yeah, out. Yeah, perfectly. And I'm mean, very proud of them for doing that. Yep, and that's 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 a, that's a perfect um, way of of talking about how parents can make decisions about what's in the best interests of their children without needing to have a court intervene. The court only intervenes if, if people can't reach an agreement. So that's fantastic. Just coming back to the, the issue that you raised about, well, what happens if it, if it wasn't so smooth? Mm. There is actually a, a, an international convention. It's called the Hague Convention on the Civil Aspects of Child Abduction, and it applies to uh, situations where children might be removed from the country in which they were habitually resident. That's the language of the, the convention. So if someone takes a child overseas yep. and there's no agreement and they want to retain the child in that in that country, there is actually an international convention that operates between quite a lot of countries. Not every country has it, but m- many countries have that convention, and it provides a mechanism to commence proceedings in that foreign country to have the children brought back to Australia or vice versa. So, for example... Um, People might come to Australia for a holiday, decide that they love it and want to stay with the kids and not return. Yep. Um, there are conventions that apply, and fortunately the court proceedings are primarily conducted by the government department, so they're, they are at limited cost to the to the parents. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so that provides a level of protection that yeah. to, to and, get and around that situation. That, that, that is in place. Yeah. Um, we were just sort of expecting, I guess, that someone would ask some kind of a question um, as we went through immigration and... Not unless mum had no. had, had made one of those um, mm. applications to, for the child's name to be placed on the airport watch list. Yeah. Cheryl, thank you so much for your call and uh, being part of our conversation today here on 2020. And time running short, Steve. Uh, let's see if we can finish on a little bit of a, a note that says uh, if you're a Christian and you've been involved in some of these uh, issues when it comes to relocations... Uh, is there a way that you can actually make it easier for the other partner, even if they have been antagonistic and there might be some uh, some concerns? Uh, as a Christian, how do you conduct yourself in these sorts of roles? I think the main thing you've always got to remember is act child-focused. You've got to put... It can be very easy to get caught up in the, the emotion of the dispute, but always be trying to put 
the interests of your child first. And typically, the, the best way of doing that is just making sure that kids can have regular communication with their other with the other parents. So, for example, if if you've both been living in one city and one parent relocates with the children for work or whatever to another city, find ways of making sure that that communication can happen regularly. That might be by telephone. It might be making sure that they can chat by text message or by email. I find um, just with family living overseas, the ability to FaceTime them on my on my iPhone and be at a video conference and have a quick chat to them once a week or a couple of times a week is a fantastic way of just maintaining that relationship and particularly for children. What's what's important is that, that the children be able to share what's happening each day or the significant events of the week with their parents. So that one of the best things that you can do to facilitate that relationship between kids and their other parent is just to make sure that those lines of communication are open. Don't be grilling them about what they've been talking to their their mum or dad about. Don't be uh, putting them on speakerphone where they feel like they're being listened into. Just let them have the privacy to have those communications and, and make sure that there's plenty of channels open for them. Obviously, you can't... Uh, can't always have open slather on the calls. Kids got to do their homework and make sure that they do all of those kinds of things. But maintain that that communication, and uh, and look for creative ways of of spending time. I often say to clients, well, if the parents living interstate, why don't we have an arrangement that lets you have some more of the public holidays? So you might be able to go down and spend that little bit of extra time on the public holidays, get that extra Monday or that Friday or something like that to be able to maximise the time with the kids. So that level of generosity as a parent, uh, it doesn't cease when you're in a dispute. Uh, you still have to maintain a level of an attitude as a Christian to these important That's right. issues. Yeah, yep. because your, kid, your kids will miss out. Well, Stephen Potts, our guest, and I mentioned that we will podcast our conversation a little later on this afternoon. If you go to vision.org.au, you'll be able to find the 2020 page and you'll be able to re-listen to some elements of this conversation. Stephen Potts, family lawyer, managing director of Newman and Turner Lawyers in Brisbane. And uh, Stephen, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.